Hello, this is the Working Man's Football Podcast. Welcome back. And hallelujah, football's returned. But unfortunately, it's not the Premier League, or even European football for that matter. It's the K-League that got underway this week. And in big news, the podcast has just gone international. So in part one, I've got a couple of ex-colleagues and good mates joining us from here in Australia to talk about a classic Premier League match, which is Chelsea versus Liverpool, the £20 million game back in 2003. Also, Gianfranco Zola's farewell as well. Uh, and in part two, we're going to be covering off the first week's action with a good friend of mine, Wongi, who lives just outside of Seoul, up in Korea. Stick around. Welcome back to my The Working Man's Football Podcast. Um, a couple of scholars and gentlemen joining us this week in week eight, nine of isolation. I've lost count, but more importantly, it's week three of the podcast anyway. Um, first of all, welcome to uh, the predecessor um, uh, in, in from where I work, predecessor in my role, the Welshman in New South Wales, Mr. Paul Morgan. Good evening, sir. Good evening to you. And um, uh, another, uh, I guess, personal connection with my job in Australia, the bloke who brought me over to Australia, the finest purveyor of facial hair and producer of homemade gin in Melbourne, Mr. Chris Blake. <laughs> it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. <laughs> there we go. All right, let's set, let's set the scene with this game because it was billed as this £20 million game. And um, I, I started to do my homework on it and I spotted... Carlo Cudicini's already won the Golden Gloves, so Chelsea are defending pretty astutely. Um, Liverpool have had a bit of a rocky season, which we'll, we'll chat about, no doubt. But they've actually got one of the best records on the road. They've won nine games in the Premier League, um, but the home form probably left a little bit to be desired. I think even the week before they lost to my team, City, who hadn't won on the road uh, up until that point, so really indifferent season for for Liverpool, and maybe we'll um, we'll start with those with with Liverpool Morgs. Um, let's have a chat about this team: Dudek, Carragher, Hippier, Traore, Risa, Gerrard, Jao, Murphy, Duf, Barros, and Owen. I mean, there's some talent in that team, and a couple of years before and a couple of years after, there's some talent in that team. I can see your face; you're roaring to go. But a couple of years before you win the, 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 the non-Premier League treble and a couple of years after you win the Champions League, what was going on with that team at the time? Jeez, um, I'm glad you said the word some because even watching that quick 25-minute highlight show, it was not many highlights from a Liverpool perspective, was it? So I think they were, they were functional. They were they were boring as batshit to watch and that's part of the memories which brought back you know that, my goodness I used to watch this season in season out and it was just shit it was just shit and even when you think well desperation stakes are at line you know you've got to win a game to get in uh, the holy grail you know yeah and you, how many chances how many how many saves did Curicini make and it was it was typical Liverpool for 18 months two years you know and it was just going through this time after time after time and it was you know, the signings didn't help. They didn't do anything. And it was, yeah, you, know, you didn't see why Michael Owen only had one season left after that. He was, he was going, no, he, he'd had enough. He'd had enough. Gerard, you'd see him with the sending off. He's got so frustrated. And it didn't just happen once with him. You know, he'd have that red miss several times. Mm. Um, but I just think he looked around him and thought, where's his team going? What are we going to do? Yep. Um, so I think, I think 
one season then was uh, was only after that. So I think he'd taken that team as far as he could. Yeah. Um, and it was just just no spark. It was just so boring to watch. Really boring to watch. You know, you you say you name the players and they don't they don't they don't work horses. That's all they do. Mm. But you take Gerard Nowen out of that team. Um, Danny Murphy's at his best days. You know, the most creative player in that team then is Johnny Risa. And I think well, a left back shouldn't be the most creative player in that team. <laughs> yeah, but he point. but he probably was. Um, I, I I found nothing in there to think. You know. Edge of the seat stuff, and the worst part, I was traveling up uh, pretty once, maybe once every six weeks to watch. And the home form, as uh, you just touched on, that was worse than the away form. Like it was too many teams going to Anfield thinking, well, we, we'll easily get a draw and we'll probably nick some in as well. They just can't break us down. Yeah. And yeah, so thanks for putting me through that. I'm so glad it wasn't a 90 minute game. And I, <laughs> I was quite relieved when it was, I found a mini classic. I said, that's better than watching a 90 minute goal. Well, go, go, going backwards a little bit. I do bit, appreciate that. You, you, you obviously lose a bit of experience with losing McAllister because he was, um, you know, a bit of experience in the dressing room when you when you won that non league travel. You won the um, the League Cup, the FA Cup, um, what would have been probably still the UEFA Cup at the time. <clears throat> we talked on the text message as well before that there were some weak signings. But who who should Liverpool have signed at that time, um, and, and who maybe should they have held on to? Oh, it's a tough one. I, you know, and I was, when I was watching the game, it brought back a few memories. So I just I just had a quick look myself. There were so many rumours with about six weeks to go of this season, this end of two three season, because um, Coulier was apparently really close to David Trezeguet. You know, and there was all these, like, you know, he always loved coming into a summer transfer window thinking, geez, are we going to get this guy? Are we going to get that guy? And all the talk was, Trezeguet was a long shot, but Champions League, and it's a possibility. Mm. So I think a lot of Liverpool fans have pinned their hopes on, you know, a strike force of Owen and Trezeguet. You know, that was, that was brilliant. That would have been, that would be something to take, you know, take your breath away in a way. But the season before, you know, we gambled big on, on two Senegalese signings. And the mighty El Hajjouf, you know, I, I can't believe I'm repeating this guy's name. He's he did nothing there. He's uh, he's done nothing since. And am I allowed to swear on this podcast? <laughs> it's a semi-family show. <laughs> All right, man. I, I will. I, I'll do one because I can't do it. I can't spit his name out without it. He's a fucking waste of time and money. You know, and he was just an absolute disgrace to the club. I just. I got no words to describe the guy. And that was our, you know, at that time, money was tough in a way, you know. You, you could pretty much have one big summer signing, but, you know, unless he wasn't big, big signing, but he was the one. Yeah. And his, uh, his mate, Salif Joe, you know, and uh, speaks volumes. He played 45 minutes of a must-win game and he was taken off for, for Emil Heskey. So, you know, nothing against Heskey, but he was a big money signing um, in the scheme of things and neither of them delivered, but just because Joe, the way Joof, sorry, the way it ended with him and spitting saga and what he's criticised since, I think a lot of people remember him for all the bad things he did. Um, there certainly wasn't enough highlights um, to put on a highlight reel. You've never seen him on YouTube. Yeah, sure. So yeah, I think it was just uh, you know it was progress made after the season of one, uh, but we certainly went backwards yeah. in this season and not qualifying for that top four was another nail in our coffin, you know. And like I said. I think I think the club itself felt the debt of loyalty to Holier. You know, he'd only been eighteen months since the heart attack stuff. Yeah, in October October one, I think. Um, so yeah, you know, it was rightly he finished off the next season, but then that was it. I think it could have happened probably twelve months earlier after they yeah. didn't qualify for the fourth. But yeah, change change was needed, and um, yeah, 
another revolution. Pass on the Spanish. Pass on the French, sorry, onto the Spanish. And not too detrimental because obviously he won the Champions League super quickly with that, even if it was mainly his squad. But poor Salif Jaoué, what a thing to have as a footnote on your Wikipedia. I got taken off at half time for Emil Heskey. Um, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's, turn, let's turn our attentions to that Chelsea team because what a back five this is, Chris. Gudicini, Melchior, Galas, Desai, Lasso. That's not bad, is it? No, no. It was, despite the age. Of a, of a, obviously, like a Desai and uh, in front of him, Manuel Petit, his other World Cup winner, um, the, the bloke with the very long hair. I think he was always, no, I wasn't quite a mullet, but you know, it was pretty good. Um, that had some real quality, and it's interesting when you look at the full squad. You got you got Gallas, Kelvachini, Frank Lampard, John Terry was. Uh, He's either injured or reported. I can't remember what, but he, he was on the bench. Yeah, uh, for possibly the game injured as well. from injury. Yeah, yeah. It, it was um, it, it was Ranieri. Some of Ranieri signings sort of had a bit of that core uh, of that Chelsea uh, Chelsea team. Who, you know, we all all Chelsea fans get to uh, got to love. Um, and so yeah, they were solid. Um, like a lot of a lot of that squad. Brilliant, can be brilliant. Some of them are a little bit old, but also some of them, uh, but on the day, could be brilliant, but also can be very flaky. Um, and yeah, and that was pretty much Chelsea of, uh, well, almost late 90s, early 2000s. Mm. Um, you know, we we'd, could be brilliant, known as the cup side. And, but yeah, this, I think it was this season and the season before. We were in the UEFA Cup and got knocked out in the first round to I think this this season or the season before was to FC Viking Scavenger or something. That's right. And then the season before was FC bloody I'm gonna when he called him the wrong name, but this is what I remember reading at the start of the time, uh, like FC um, Transylvania or something. It was like uh, <laughs> some Romanian side that then that's what they dubbed and we lost to them in the first round as well. And so, and in this season as well, like, yeah, we were terrible in, in all the cups. Um, but I do wonder if that was perhaps a focus internally, maybe not to put so much emphasis on these cups and actually see where we could end up in the league to try for a Champions League spot, because that's where the money was. Um, and God knows we needed it. Um, all the talk around this time and during the season was of our financial trouble. Um, and even though we made the Champions League, there were some whispers still that we, we you know, the money, we still had to pay for the qualifiers. So it, even if we did make it, we might still have to sell off a player or two. And, and I remember reading John Terry's name was mentioned because of young and talented Ida Goodjonsson, who'd had a cracking season the year before, mm. um, and, a, and a pretty good season again this, uh, this year that, you know, we might still have to sell them even though we're making the Champions League. So it was it was um, a, an important game to win, um, despite the talent that we had there. And I, I, <laughs> watching that game again, it, it reminded me so much of how frustrating uh, Gronkia uh, was as a play, a blistering place down that wing. But and I won't swear, but geez, <laughs> couldn't couldn't cross 
to save his soul. You know, he would he would get past his man. If someone else was there, he would just kick it straight into the whoever was marketing or yep. go to bounds, repeat, wash, repeat, wash, repeat yep. for an entire game. And so watching that game again, uh, this time around, I was like, you know, F me, but he actually put on the first assist for our first goal. He actually hit a target. Correct. That's the irony of it, <laughs> isn't it, with him? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And listen to the commentators go, geez, he hasn't done much until then. He's like, well, yeah, no shit. <laughs> and then, of course, I, it would have been about this stage, I'm pretty sure when I watched the game, when I first watched this game, I would have been laying into him. That he then obviously scored the uh, winning goal. <laughs> he didn't have a bad day at the office, um, just, did he, in the end? Just, yeah, just to show me up, to show how much I really don't know what I'm talking about when it comes to, when it comes to football. He didn't, um, he didn't have a bad day at the office. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I still, I did enjoy the couple the, of, because my memory of him was, uh, yeah, great pace, but geez, he was just a frustrating player and it was good to watch, listen to the commentators sort of say, gee, he hasn't done much till now. Well, yeah, a, that's how I remember him. <laughs> there's, there's a bit of attacking prowess with both teams. You've got to at least say with uh, Owen, Gerrard often had a long ranger in him. Danny Murphy could pop up with an important goal. Hasselbank was a top quality Premier League forward. You mentioned Good Johnson there. Petit was a playmaker. Lampard could could ghost into the box. But it's the defenders who opened the scoring, uh, ironically. <clears throat> uh, Sammy Hippier, first of all, which he could get Adam shoulders above above the, the best of them at a set-piece, couldn't he, Morgs? And he, he, he scored a few headers for you. He scored, a, he scored a few. You know, it was very rare he didn't go without three or four year. Um, and I think on his best year, he was close to double figures. Yep. You know, even, even to his last season, he was he was always a threat, even when he was in and out of the team. And, you know, especially in European football, I think he was more suited for the, the slower pace of Europe. Um, and the, under the lights, of, you know, he scored, he scored some absolute crackers for Liverpool. Um, but he was he was a he was a decent player, just a decent player. But he was always always a threat. He'd always yep. pop up. Um, he's you know the guy was six six foot four, six foot five, I think. So he was always likely to get at the end of something. But he was he was good enough to convert them. But yeah, the defenders, I think they were they were the star show of that of that game. You know, you you watch someone like Desai and you think, geez, the guy was I think he was thirty five at the time, mm. and uh, he was limping in the first half. He could hardly move, mm. and he still looked. The, well, the most composed player on the pitch, you know, it speaks volumes of the man. He was, you know, I used to love watching defenders in that early 2000 period when you yeah. know, the likes of Parisi, Jurgen Kohler, Roberto Ayala, you know, that's how you, yeah. you watch them. And Champions League was really at the fore at that time for, for me, um, doing my trips over to the continent now and again. And you, you just to see these people in, in the flesh, and geez, they didn't break sweat. Yeah. They didn't break sweat, but they were absolute quality. You know, they come off and you think that these guys played, you know, it's played like, Van Dyke these days. It's a, they were just head and shoulders. And really think, like I said, I, I was surprised Dessa, he was 35. I, I Googled it after I watched that. Was he really? Um, but yeah, you see them too. And yeah, I think it just speaks, again, speaks volumes of the game that the defenders were, were more of a threat than, than strikers in that game. Yeah, I mean, the game was obviously much more aerial at the time as well, wasn't it? Um, I think he was your captain as well, Hippier. Uh, if I remember right, he was. He it was. Transitioned I think, over to Gerard, um, didn't it? And he sort of. I think it was the, the next season. Playing. I think it was. Sorry, come on, I interrupted then. No, no. I was wondering who, who made the decision to trans transition it over to Gerard because it seemed a smart move to do it whilst Hippie was still playing, letting focus on Marshall in the back line and 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 I guess sort of mentor Gerard into the captainship a little bit. Yeah, well, I think I think both of them and Julia actually they've spoke about this since um, it was the next season uh, during the season and. 
Coulier, he, th- he thought there was too much pressure on Sammy as, you know, playing and captain in the cl- team and club. So he made the call to, to put Gerard in as a captain. I think he was 23 at the time. So he's pretty young to take on that type of mantle. Mm. But he saw something in him as with leadership qualities. And, you know, and I think it's, it's again, credit to what Sammy Hoopier did. He was the first person to, to speak to Gerard in training the next day. And Gerard was, you know, he speaks about it at length in his book. Um, just say that a mark of a man, you know, the way he, he addressed it. And he said he gave me absolutely everything. From from there on to the rest of his Liverpool career, he said it was his. I was his captain then, but he said he gave me. He never let me down once on that pitch. So, you know, it was a, it was a lot of respect between the two. But Julian Julian was the one who made the call. Yeah. Um, but he just thought Sammy would be better off concentrating on his his own game. Um, and he did. He did. You know, he was he was a, he was a quality player for Liverpool. Yeah. He spent he ten years there. Fantastic defender, Steven Gerrard. Eh? Yeah, whatever, he, whatever happened to him, he didn't amount to much, did he? <laughs> <laughs> nah, nah, he probably faded away, didn't he? Nah, Won the he Champions League single-handedly. Uh, <laughs> I think there were a couple of young midfielders in that game. I think it just we just never heard of in both uh, in both Lampard and Gerrard. You know, both of them running around didn't really get up <laughs> much either of them. Yeah, yeah, just, just a couple hundred caps between them, I think. Wasn't yeah. It? yeah, 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 yeah. Belting goals between the two. Play together, play together, but didn't. Now it's um, yeah, it's a defender. We say that equals the scoring with uh, Desai getting up. I think as a, a set piece sort of trickles out. He stays up there in nosebleed territory and uh, and bags one. But mm. the winner is scored in the twenty seventh minute. But you go back, you back that Desai goal. He had no right to win that header. If you go back nah. and look at that, he's yeah. the wrong side of the ball. Yeah. The defender's yeah. got a, he's got a, holding all the aces there, and it's Salib Joe. You know, which which again. Irks me again. I've looked at it. I thought, no, it had to be him. <laughs> if it was Carragher, he could have lived with that. You know, he made a few mistakes. Peter gives him time to a couple of mistakes. But something I totally forgot about Salif Joe. And, you know, as a young kid, I, just, I was taught these basic defending rules. And that was one of them. You know, you, you can't turn your back on the ball. And, and he managed to get out muscled by a guy who could hardly walk. Quality he was, but he was more, more renowned for defending his own box. He wasn't renowned for scoring headers from 18 yard box. No. So, no, 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 no. But, you know, the credit to him, he, he got his head on it. He put it in a, a place where it couldn't be saved. But still, I don't think he should have been in the, in the right frame to win that header and certainly put it on target. Thank you, Salif. Thank you. The, the, I mean, a lot of the weaknesses you've spoken about there are, you know, Jao and, and Juve and, and Sheru's on the bench and, and he comes on. Um, the weak link at the back it seems, it seems to be the common consensus amongst Liverpool fans that the weak link at the back would have been Triori, but the goalkeeper and the other three defenders, Carragher, Hippia, Risa, um, and, you know, Chris talks about Gronkiar being, and then the commentary talks about it as well, Gronkiar being on the periphery. Reese is a pretty accomplished defender. He'll, he'll put his boot in and he'll go over a player. Yeah. What happens for that goal? How, how does he get past him so easily and get the shot away, Gronkiar? Because Reese doesn't suffer fools gladly. I know. I just, I just think they, they must have looked and thought it, it is Gronkiar. You know, he's not. Oh, yeah. We'll let him go. And uh, I, think he was, I think he was more known for the right foot rather than his left foot. So, all right, show him inside. Sure, you can go inside. There's someone there, and again, you know, it, I, I think you've set me up for a failure because the person coming out for him is Jimmy Traore, and he he sort of goes into a half-assed tackle. Um, he could have put it put it straight into him, but he didn't. He gave him a chance to take a shot off, and you, you can't fault the shot. You know, it's it's bent into the corner. But I think complacency in the way you look at some guy, you think, well, 
if I show him inside, he's just going to lay it off to somebody. He's not going to really hurt us that way. Um, by Christ, they were wrong. Uh, I, I, I could not think of a time where he actually cut inside and had a crack. Like in any other game, and I, before this game, I was Googled it. I thought, oh, would have been his only goal for the season or one of us. <laughs> but he kicked a few, apparently, so once again, shows how much I know. But yeah, you, you wouldn't have... He would have done his homework. Reese was certainly not alive. Would have done his homework and just gone 99 times out of 100. He's heading for that byline. And so he just would have positioned it. I reckon he caught him out because everyone went, the F are you doing, bro? Like, this thing's going anywhere. And, uh, well, there you go. <laughs> we had a bit of magic. But, I don't know. Could he ever have done it again? Doubt it. <laughs> how, long, how long did he stay at Chelsea after that, Chris? Did he have another season? Yeah, he did have another season when we had a squad of about 200 players. Because we, only, <laughs> I think Zola, Zola retired. He left at the end of this one. Uh, might have been Desai's last one as well, or something like that. But we ended up that was we ended up signing everybody and anybody, and didn't get rid of anybody. Um, but I don't, I don't reckon he played too many more games. Uh, okay. Um, okay. After, after that, he did. He, I'm pretty sure he signed with someone else in the Premier League uh, the season after. I, I couldn't remember who, but I did remember watching him again and seeing. Yep, that's what he did. He did the same thing again. <laughs> Smashed it straight out of the bar line, full string pace, crossed into some bloke <laughs> out for a goal kick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that that takes us into half time, and I don't know about you, Morgs. I've always been told that two one at half time is the most dangerous scoreline because it's either going three one or two two. You know, it's kind of like double or quits, um, or it's a bit shit or bust basically. Uh, now, of course, it, the scoreline remains the same, but there are a few chances, and there's some sloppy defending. You know, you guys are trying to have a go and grab the equaliser, but you leave the back door open a little bit at times. Oh no, I don't. And again, they, they think they had to. I think they absolutely had to. But you know, I think the only the only chances of note, you know, apart from the Barros handball one, uh, there's a couple of couple of shots, scuffs. But I think Chelsea had the best chances. You know, they take the post from Melchior, I think it was Mario Melchior. Mm. Yeah. Um, I think they had a couple of couple of bouncing balls around the box. But I think they had the ones with the chances. But you know, you, even looking back, you think, well, that's that's pretty gutsy. You know, throwing on Heskey at half time, it, it, just go for it. Yeah. I'd certainly rather lose three one and just accept the two one defeat. Yeah, but I don't think they. It didn't seem to me like a team in desperation sticks. You know, we really want to get this Champions League football. Um, that to me just so yeah, we go through the motions. You know, we'll we'll regroup. We'll start again next year. Maybe next year we'll try and hope for something. You know, it was it was all that. That's, that's, it was a, it, the club wasn't ambitious enough at that time. They, you can see why they were miles away from the Arsenal's and the United's. It was. Yeah, lack of leaders, lack of winners. You yeah. know, as much as Gerard Owen probably desperate to play European football, it didn't it didn't show in that game. And I think the Gerard red card was was I think that was part of the reason for it. You know, it wasn't enough people with like minded as him um, and really want to drag this football club forward and into the well, Chris said earlier, promised land. You know, it, it's still very new this Champions League format. Uh, he was expanding, but the money was there. You know, when you talk about ten million. There you go, ten million check for qualifying for fourth. Yeah, it's, it, you shouldn't get that type of money for fourth, but that, that that's what it is. It's a player. That's, in the, those that's days, the new it? modern football. It's a player. Uh, yeah, I reckon though, it, it would have been part of Stevie Gerrard. He saw it was so. I'll put the boot in. 
because you know he's, I think Lasso was a bit yappy, and so <laughs> he's like, oh, I'm not the leading booty, I'm sure. Well, Lasso always had a bit of form with uh, with Liverpool. I think if you remember the, the Fowler incident, years yes, when he course. did that. Um, Obviously, the, the homophobic stuff with uh, with Lasso. I think there was they both spoke about some things in their book, <clears throat> and I thought Lasso was quite disparaging about Liverpool and Scouses in general. So, I think there was always a bit of uh, a bit of ill feeling between certain Liverpool players and, and Graham Lasso. Mm. Um, and I think it um, I think it, it turned into fistcups and on a couple of England trips. I, I think there was some stories about about certain players coming to blows. Um, so yeah. I, it was no surprise to see him leave one in late in the day, but again, it was just—I <laughs> think it was just frustration at the, the result. The fact Champions League football won't be going to Anfield the following season, and you know what is a sort of fifty-fifty with Lasso. Let's just give him a crack. Yeah. <laughs> I won't—I won't even bother waiting for the car. I'm off down the tunnel. See? He does. He walks, doesn't he? He knows. He, he knows what's happening. <laughs> Yeah, he, he knows the script. Fair, fair. See, you know, he's already on a yellow anyway, so fair, it, it, there's no point. Fair play. See you later. Get in the shower first, buddy. Now, it, it, and I don't mean to rub salt into the wound, but the facts are the facts with this most. I did pick up in the commentary as well. The, Liverpool hadn't managed to win at, <coughs> at Stamford Bridge for for six years, um, and obviously one of the likely reasons for that is um, uh, a certain player they had, which turned out to be his last game in, didn't start, um, Zola. What what made it so hard playing at, at Stamford Bridge and and was it a player like like Zola that contributed to the challenge? Oh, massive massive player. I think they said he had seven. I think they, in the commentary said it was the seventh year, um, but mm. he was he was you know he was he was well known when he went there, but I think his reputation just went up several notches to prove he could play in the so called toughest league in the world. You know, and he, he did it week in week out for a small guy. I think he was five foot two, five foot three. You know, in the UK, was renowned for a few kickers in that time. You know, they they they'd leave a bit in now and again and prove you there. But the fact he, he came through that and, like I said, to be voted, I think is the best ever foreigner for for Chelsea. Um, yeah, absolutely, he was one of the reasons why we couldn't win there. Um, but it, it was a, it was always a tough place to go. You know, it hasn't changed since. We don't get that many many great results there. Um, but it was just one of them grounds. You know, we we had some really really bad times there. Um, some cup games come to note, and I, I had a couple of games there, thinking, "Yeah, this is okay." And then they turn around and smack us. So, yeah, it was never, never a place you'd look forward to going to. Before we we get the Chelsea perspective on Zola from Chris, at that time you've you've probably got within the league Zola at Chelsea, um, Burkamp's been at um, uh, Arsenal for a couple of years. These players that have come from the continent, um, where you've seen that power shift from from Holland. Um, probably into Serie A, uh, and that's benefited a player like Burkamp and and also a player like Zola, who who had some I guess mentorship from from Maradona, players who knew how to play between the lines. Where in 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 the Premier League we had quite rigid four four two formations. Do you wish you had a player like Yari Litmanen come to you maybe a couple of years earlier because you know that schooling he may have had at Ajax with with fresher legs, he might have done a little bit more for you, don't you think? Oh. Uh, you know, it's incomparable. You know, you take a, a Lippman and when he came in, you know, he was older, his legs are gone and the play in England is, is tough anyway. But when you, when you're older, but he still showed quality. You know, he still did enough in his, his couple of months there to prove what, what he could have been a few years prior to that. Um, you know, Gary McAllister, another one. You know, once you've got the football in nose, you can play. But then we went down the African route, you know, and let's go back onto these two clowns again. Uh, we spent all our dough on, on the, these World Cup World Cup superstars and 
my goodness, how did that turn out? So, yeah, <laughs> you know, it's in hindsight, I don't think anyone would go back and think, well, could we have got a lip in that? I don't know where he was. Was he still a passer or something then? He was, he was still playing his ways at uh, some, some good club, no doubt. But, you know, what a difference a player like that could make. You know, you put him with Owen. Owen's a different player. As it is, as you said, it's a rigid 4 4 2. He put a runner like Milan Barra next to Owen, and there's no supply chain. There's nothing there. And if Gerard has an off day, Danny Murphy, like I said, he, he sort of waned by then. Um, there's not a lot coming from it otherwise. Yeah, totally. Now, uh, <clears> let's <throat> have a word from you, Chris Onzola, because he was an absolute joy. Like, he, he, a, a player that tall or that short, rather, just a. No right playing this, you know, aerial physical game in the Premier League, but he made it his own, didn't he? Sad to see yeah. him go. Yeah, and what was even, I think, a little bit more sad for a lot of Chelsea fans, and we understood, you know, it was going to be his last years, but that last year he was brilliant. <coughs> year before, year before he took a bit, he took more of a back seat because both. Johnson and Hasselbank, I think, were the number one two punch in the in the comp. I think they had scored close to 50 goals between the two of them the, the season before. And Zola, his numbers had dropped right off, made the decision. But I think he also made the decision to quit the booze um, entirely for that last season. Um, and he scored like 15, 16 goals for us that season across all comps. Yep. Um, including, uh, I think it was that year we had the Famous finish uh, in the FA Cup fourth fourth round, right back like the jumping back heel into the top corner uh, yeah. against Norwich. If you ever if you ever looked that one up, it, fabulous piece of goal. At, uh, no one has any right to do that kind of thing, but yeah, Zola. Um, so he'd have a cracking year for us. And when um, when we do get purchased, uh, Abra- he was one of Abramovich's favourite players. And uh, as the story goes, is that he tried to persuade him to come back. And Zola had said, oh, I've already promised to go to Genoa. Oh, I can't remember. Cagliari, Tug- I think it is. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. Yep. Um, he'd already promised to go. So Abramovich then went, well, I'll, I'll buy that club. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is uh, true or not, I don't know, makes, makes for a good story. But because um, he really wanted him to stay. And, and I think... It, he was so well thought of around the club that they, they did really want him to stay. He almost came back as an assistant at one stage there. Um, so it, it was, well, yeah, uh, when we had Conte as, as manager. Um, but, yeah, it was it was a great and just uh, – there was a great little bit of highlight when he came on under pressure near the near, – right near the uh, sort of corner yeah. where he just weaved his way through it. In a, in a physical game like that, he had no right to get out with the ball like he did and just... And you can understand Gerard's frustration. You can watch that going, for F's sake, seriously, don't let him out. You know what's coming. Like, ah. Oh. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, it's just... It, it, it was great to watch. Great to watch. And it's great to have... You know, it's one of those sorts of guys, as you say, from the continent came over and it made... I think the English game, uh, not just him, but many of the others, the Burkhams and the like, it was also a great player. Yeah, infinitely watchable when you because uh, it's not just strength and pace. It is there's an awful lot of skill and uh, and ability that goes on. Case in point was some of uh, some of Zola's uh, footwork. <laughs> uh, yeah, 
Well, in I've got a question for each of you before Zoom kicks me off because I've only got the cheap version. Uh, this podcast is already running at a, a financial loss, and there's a there's a, there's a limit to that. <laughs> there's no Abramovich bankroll in this. Shake Mansour or the Fenway Group. Qu- a quick question for you, Morgs. If Liverpool get into the Champions League this season, um, or rather, because because they miss out on the Champions League, is that the kick up the backside that spurs them on to win two years later? Do you think? Um, not necessarily. I think. Um... You know, if they if they got in, maybe that would have given Julia a longer spell of time. I think the reason we win the Champions League is, is I wouldn't say it's solely down to Rafa Benitez, but he was a massive part. He was his stubbornness, you know, is is renowned. So I think they needed someone to come in like that and put a big big broom through the place. You know, there were too many people there, happy to like I said, you can see it in the game, happy to accept a close four finish. You know, we finished five, we're okay. Our job's a skewer. But I think it needed a Benitez to come in and say, "No, nah, this is not acceptable." You know, we we really need to shake this shake this joint up. Yeah. So you know, a fourth, I, no doubt we'd have had more money to spend. I think we bought Harry Kewell and Steve Finn in that summer, on the back of finishing fifth. If you know, it's a pipe dream, I guess, for that Trezeguet link. But there was there was strong rumours about Julier had been speaking to him, and he was his reps are apparently comfortable with the idea. But again, it's all speculative stuff. Um, who knows? Who knows? I wouldn't have swapped um, the season then in 05 for anything. You know, that was such a such a dream run. So whether whether the 023 season had any bearing on pushing them on, maybe Gerard, for instance, he was he was still there. Or when it gone, of course. Or when it thought right, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna win anything here. Mm. Um so it's it's a tough question, you know, twenty twenty vision and hindsight, brilliant. But I yeah, I think they were all disappointed in missing out, but then yeah, it's still needed a change of manager, I think, to, to really push on and and look for improvements across the board. Fair enough. And Chris, very quickly from uh, from your good self, <coughs> Leeds. You look at a club like Leeds, who's overspent um, and then has uh, felt some financial pain uh, after that. Do you think Chelsea could have gone down the same route had Abramovich maybe not come in, even if they had gone into the Champions League and spent beyond their means? Was that the, the you know that yeah. the alternative universe for them? Yeah, very much so. There was a lot of different... If Abramovich hadn't bought them, there were other rooms of other parties interested in taking them over. And, yeah, yeah it's, we're a London club and kind of, kind of fancy and cool, which is weird if you ever meet other Chelsea fans because we're not uh, any of those things. Um, but um, it, it's... It, I think he, he, I think the odds on we're going to get sold, and if we'd not been, um, very much could be. I would say almost like a Newcastle of today, uh, like a Mike Ashley could have been. Okay, he would have under Ken Bates would have been the, the spending would have been top, dried right up, sold players off, and that does terrible things for your morale, the club, um, and then you know fans stay away, less money gets spent. Yeah, could, could have easily. Maybe not go in the way of Leeds, but probably more like the Newcastle, I guess, and then ping pong up and down a bit, you know, and a very, very different story <laughs> of the last, you know, 20 odd years. The sliding doors of football, eh? Well, um, there's a bit of unfinished business between both clubs as they meet a few times in the Champions League down the line. So I will thank you both for your time and we'll maybe revisit that uh, in, in a later episode, I hope. Uh, can't wait. More than happy to do so. More than happy to do so. <laughs> Thanks, boys. Thank <laughs> you.
Cheers, thanks, Danny. See you, folks. Hello, Wongi. How are you? Good, good. How are you? Yeah, thanks very well, me. thank you. Thanks for joining us on um, for, for part two of uh, the podcast. Really, really keen to get a, a K League download from you. Um, how's uh, ha- how's things been before we start for you in terms of um, isolation and coronavirus? Is everybody safe there? That, let's start with that. Yeah, hopefully everybody, my family and my colleagues are all safe. Yeah, the Korean situation also is getting better. Uh, yeah, so hopefully we are back to new normal uh, soon. Yeah, but still we have some uh, or ten or twenty cases a day, so we still have to uh, watch out uh, for everything. Yeah, sure. Well, great progress, obviously, or a great sign of progress that the the football's back. I think the whole world is watching the K League at the moment, which is which is <laughs> nice. Um, I guess uh, the, the best place to start is game one, round one, which is your team, um, and I believe it's your your local team, the uh, the Blue Wings, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, right, exactly. Yeah, there was uh, our the uh, uh, K League, the first opening match for this season. Yeah, I was really looking forward to watch the games as well. <laughs> what did you uh, What did you make of the first game, and what did you make of the fake fan noise in the background? Uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was kind of uh, yes, yeah, new norm for the the K League. I guess we cannot uh, we cannot go to the stadium at this moment, so we can only watch the games on the TV at this moment. So the, the fake fans uh, supporting songs actually make me uh, uh, sing together. Oh, okay, <laughs> <Somehow>. good. <laughs> but not enough, of course. Yeah. I, I liked it. I think it added to it. Watching it on TV, it was hard to tell the, the difference from, from most games that you watch on TV. And there's been many jokes about Manchester City uh, often not having fans turn up and them needing to insert such music <laughs> to boost the atmosphere. But let's not get into that. Um, what did you make of the game? It was um, it was almost like a game of chess at times. It was a little bit timid and um, it was a stalemate for a while, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. It was kind of not... Uh, it was... Uh, Actually, I was expecting, uh, 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 how can I say, it's, um, a mid-tempo game speed, I guess, the both teams, for, I mean, for the both team, it was the first match for the opening, uh, uh, for the season, and also uh, Suwon actually, uh, I mean, uh, realistically, the draw was actually their best scenario for the Suwon Bulls, uh, as the Suwon is the, the one of favorite teams, and the previous champions uh, championship uh, owners as well so they're trying to control the games and uh, keep the balance the ball uh, without any uh, make a goal i guess there was uh, it was planned i guess and it followed the plans until the the bluing teams one of the players get a lead card and since then uh, this game actually changed and uh, jumbo uh, has a uh, legend striker Lee Dong-gook, who is actually the the most scored player in the league at this moment. So he changed. He he had a, just only few chance, but he made a he made a difference, I guess, in the game. Yeah, let's have a, a rattle through some of the other results from the the weekend. Ulsan Hyundai, who I'm sure are one of the favourites, and Sangju that was four nil. Incheon nil, Daegu nil, Gwangju nil, Songnam two. 
Pohang to Busan nil, and we'll we'll come on to the last game in a moment. What was the the game of the round out of all those? Do you think? What was the standard? Oh, uh, yeah, I didn't have much time to watch all game, but I just watched the uh, ten minute highlight for other uh, games. I guess the best games for the first round could be the Ulsan versus Sangju and Gangwon versus Seoul, of course. I guess yeah, Ulsan is one of favorite as well, and. Uh, uh, they uh, enhanced many good players. Uh, even they, uh, uh, Lee Chung Myung joined the Ulsan teams uh, for this season. So Lee Chung Myung played the Boltons and Bundesliga League for many years, I guess, and uh, that makes uh, teams uh, move to the another level, I guess. So it was a good game, and of course, Gangwon versus Seoul uh, versus Seoul was also another good game as well. Yeah, Gangwon actually the Manchester uh, Manchester City type. Uh, uh, football. Actually, they had a quarter of Byung-Soo Kim. Uh, they are pushing the games and the 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 uh, the the pass game and all the trying to control the ball for the whole uh, game. And it was a great game, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, you see, they like to move the ball around, um, playing a bit of one-touch Gangwon, and um, the counter-attack mm. was obviously quite good uh, for the second goal as well. Fantastic back heel by Cho Wan. That was uh, yeah. a great bit of improvisation. Gutsy effort. Yeah, it was a good try though. Yeah, I guess this fifty to fifty, the the fifty uh, percent is there. He has intention, but fifty percent kind of luck, I guess. Yep. Yeah. But it was good goal. Yeah, amazing goal. So who should we look out for next week? You know, who is the the attractive footballing team to watch? Who are the um, you know who are the really sort of hard to break down team? Who are the who are the successful sort of the the big trophy winning team? If people sort of want to latch onto a team with a bit of success and have a greater chance of watching them on TV, out of the games next week, Sangju Gangwon, Daegu Pohang, Busan Jongbuk, Suwon Blue Wings and Ulsan Hyundai, Songnam and Incheon, and Seoul Gwangju. Who who should we be watching out for next week? Do you think? Oh, I guess my pick is actually Daegu versus Puang and Suwon versus Ulsan. Yeah, okay. actually, uh, Daegu is actually one of the cool uh, club. Uh, there is uh, a lot of young, talented players out there. They have good striker and second striker as well. And their uh, team spirit is pretty high and good tempo and balanced team. And always I watch the game of the uh, Daegu football, actually. Uh, even I'm not following the Daegu FC, but their team plays in uh, games really great to watch, I guess. And but first match was draw, and uh, Puang is quite a strong team as well. And uh, uh, they win first match, I guess. And actually, there is only 27 round for the this season uh, for the whole K League team because of COVID-19. Okay. So the first one, uh, first, first and second round will be pretty important for all the team. So Daegu should be focusing on second round as uh, they just only got uh, one point. So Daegu versus Puan will be the good game for the watch, and Swan versus Ulsan as well. It's, uh, because uh, one of the reason is because I follow the Swan Bluings, and another legion uh, is the Ulsan actually. Uh, I mean, the Lee Chung Myung uh, joined Ulsan this season, and who is played for the Boltons and Bundesliga for many years. He is actually one of my favorite as well. Yeah, he played the national team for many years, and good techniques and good football. So it was good game for, I mean, good match for the watch, I guess. 
Yeah, okay. Well, look forward to that. Both of those games, I think, are going to be on in Australia, and it's also on breakfast time for my friends in the UK if they need a lick of football next week, especially if there's another hiccup with the, the Bundesliga returning. So I'll definitely be tuning into those two. Thank you very much for your recommendations. Yeah, you're welcome. Yeah. No, it's my well, pleasure. We better let you go and get some dinner. Thanks for joining us, mate, and we'll speak to you again soon. Okay, sure. Take care. I take care. Bye. Thank you. So there it is, ladies and gents. Classic football match code for you once again, and also a little flavour of the K League. Something a bit different to keep you going until your Premier League or what have you comes back. Anyway, thanks again for tuning in. Um, cheers to all the guys for flicking us a message and saying they're enjoying um, enjoying the show. Really appreciate that. And if you're keen to uh, jump on, please flick us a message and um, I'm sure we can take a trip down memory lane and cover off a game together. Uh, but for now, have a good week and uh, we'll see you next time.